Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's CII podcast, where we're chatting with Ryan Dodd, founder and CEO of CyberHedge, about how to engage with greater confidence on cyber governance questions. My name is Glenn Davis. Many institutional investors want portfolio companies to know that they regard cybersecurity as a high priority, but substantive dialogue can be challenging. Ryan's career has been all about working through those challenges, first as an investor and now as the founder of a startup, trying to help bring more substance to the table in investor company discussions about cybersecurity. Good to have you with us, Ryan. Hi, thanks, Clint. Nice to be here. To set the stage here, you've raised the point that when investors considering whether it's important to engage on cybersecurity, they should be thinking about a much broader set of vulnerabilities than solely, for example, breaches of consumer information, which is important, but that's only one piece of the pie. Could you tell us about those broader issues? Sure. I think cyber something now that we could consider a systemic risk certainly a macro risk. It always ranks at the top of that list for sort of major macro risks that investors are concerned about. And if you look at the rank of companies over the last 10 years on the stock market, the primary driver of their value creation has been data, cyber, and anything that's digitally related. And so I think that when we talk about cyber only as the loss of customer data, it's missing a much greater issue in terms of how it impacts the brand value of a company, the operations of a company. And I think what happened in the last 12 months and at the end of 17 and most of 18 really showed that cyber is a lot more than just losing customer data. In fact, it shut down operations in 17 for world shipping lines for hospitals. It then later on with Facebook, you know, the whole issue around digital privacy lost hundreds of billions of dollars in shareholder value and on down to issues where you have like a Marriott situation where thanks to an acquisition, they now are dealing with not just the loss of customer data, but the loss of brand. And they're going to have to redo their whole sort of protection of their network, which spans the world. So it's a systemic risk. And any systemic risk implies that it pervades all aspects of an organization. And I think that's why cyber is so important and why actually the, the value can be improved with improved governance around it. As we mentioned before, for many years, you spent time working in the investment world before starting CyberHedge, more specifically as a long-only activist investor. What did that experience teach you about cybersecurity's relevance to shareholder value? I think what, as I was trained as an investor, and, and certainly what I did for the most part was constantly ticking off risks that we had checked whenever we had made an investment, and more importantly, when we were engaged with a board and a company, you know, where we constantly monitoring these risks. And cyber started to creep up, but the more I looked at our portfolio a couple of years ago, it was so heavily weighted towards companies where data was a very large factor in the company's overall shareholder value. And when I started to talk to the companies about this, just like you would say an oil company about sort of how those assets impact the value or pharmaceutical company, how their R&D process is impacting future shareholder value, I started to realize that these companies didn't really have much to say around how they were protecting their primary asset. And I think more importantly, it occurred to me that there was really no benchmark, and investors love benchmarks, of course, because there was nothing to tell us, are they doing a good job of managing their cyber or doing a bad job of managing their cyber? And it just got me thinking that this problem is certainly much bigger than asking a question, what are you doing to manage your cyber risk? It's a, it's a systemic issue that needs to be more broadly viewed um, by the investment community. And that's really what got me thinking about from the point of view originally as a source of alpha, right? Thinking if, if, if data and cyber is driving this, this much value, then the opposite must be true. It means that the risk must also have a huge impact potentially on losing value. 
And again, I think in 2018, we sort of saw that, yes, that's true. But at the time, and it started this process for me really thinking about that this is a big issue that probably should be solved. And at the very least, the investment community should have a benchmark that stands alongside all the other investment benchmarks that we use as a way to determine is, is a company doing a good job or, or a bad job. And I also believe it's up to the private sector to do that, to lead the way and have the regulators follow. On the regulators, some investors are aware that the National Institute of Standards and Technology has set up a framework for assessing and understanding companies' cybersecurity strengths and weaknesses. From your perspective, what's so great about the NIST framework and why is it so important for investors to get comfortable talking about cybersecurity through the lens of the NIST framework? Right. I think um, investors like frameworks. Um, It's easier to to measure apples to apples, which is very important when looking at a large group of companies where you have to make investment decisions. And I think that this is shown through things that were just so commonplace, like the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones. I mean, these are are investor frameworks, you know, examples of them. And I think importantly, investor frameworks like generally accepted accounting standards, as well as generally accepted financial modeling standards like the DCF or discounted cash flow modeling or the sum of the parts modeling as an accepted way to determine the value of a company. So when I came across the NIST framework, not only did I recognize that this is something the Pentagon says, as well as the whole sort of technology and defense community saying, we believe this is the best framework in which to measure cyber risk. And as I looked deeper into it, I saw very much uh, a similarity with a DCF type modeling exercise where the NIST allows you to, to effectively look at a cyber threat as it develops on a scenario basis through your network getting worse and worse. That's effectively how the NIST framework works. And in doing that, it provides multi-scenario analysis similar, again, to sort of the standards in financial modeling. And so by marrying those two, you know, sort of best practice in the defense community and the cybersecurity community with something that's very familiar to a financial analyst, I think that that's really what I sort of latched onto because I felt like this is something familiar. And for me and what we do, I'm trying to make cyber familiar to the investment community by using frameworks that they feel comfortable in. And NIST, I think, does the best job of that. And certainly it helps that it's the one that you know, the U.S. government considers the best framework in which to measure your risk. So I would say that whenever we we talk to a company at the board level, there's always a sense of relief when the cybersecurity team comes in because they recognize that we're using the same framework, the NIST framework that they're using. We just happen to be using as a financial modeling tool. Uh, And so uh, we're sort of speaking the same language, and that's a good way to get both sides to communicate. You're a big believer in having a third party perform an external audit of company cybersecurity. Could you tell us what those audits focus on and why you think they're particularly good value for shareholder dollars? Sure. I think that if I get back to the point I made earlier that cyber really is systemic risk. In other words, that companies really need to understand, number one, what technology is working properly. And when I say technology, I mean which of your cybersecurity tools is working properly. And then secondly, which of those tools, as they interplay with one another, right? So you have several different cybersecurity tools, which are all working in conjunction with one another inside your technology stack. And so a big problem that companies have is one particular division or group is focused on the firewall, and the other division is focused on, let's say, the data loss protection. And the third is focused on your endpoint, your mobile protection, and things like that, or your applications protection. Problem is they're often not thinking about how do each of those four different pieces of your security on your network, how are they interplaying with one another? And every time you change or the the network changes or evolves or gets updated, it often changes the way all those four different pieces of a network communicate. 
So an audit actually shows you not only what is working individually in your as a technology, but it's telling you how your technology stack is working with one another. And I think that is a piece that I can tell you is missing in many companies. And in terms of sort of using that as a first step in sort of a cybersecurity plan of action, I think it's very smart because oftentimes I've found certainly that one of the biggest problems companies have is like, where do we start? What do we prioritize? And it seems to me, just like with a financial audit or a health and safety audit or any other kind of audit that a company is required to do, it's used primarily as a starting point to show where are the problems, right? What do we need to focus on? I think that's why for cyber, it is a very important element that should be used as sort of a good practice for good hygiene. And what types of companies are best suited for an external audit? In my view, and I've looked at this quite a bit, and I also think that our own data shows this, that in terms of a security ROI, a security audit as your starting point is must be the most cost-effective solution that any company could take in terms of improving security. And I say that because so much of our data points to the problem of companies not being the technology they own, but the management of that technology. And so understanding what is working and what's not working from the management point of view is going to improve what you're getting in terms of the return on your overall security investment. And I just see that time and time and time and time and time again. It just, it just feels like the this is such, if any type of security audit is affordable by any small cap, medium sized and large cap companies, and especially if it's done digitally, which good ones are, it's just a very good return. And it's something that I personally believe that institutional investors should also sort of ask from the boards of companies they invest in as well. You're somewhat skeptical of how much can be gained by mandating cyber expertise on the board itself. A lot of companies are keeping the expertise below the board level and having it report up usually to the audit committee. Uh, What advice do you have for investors on what to consider before taking a position in an engagement setting on the right governance structure for responding effectively to cyber? My skepticism comes from sort of the surveys and the observations in my own work that we agree now in 2019, we all agree that cyber is a a systemic risk. It's a macro risk. And yet in companies, it's treated as a micro risk, meaning that it's the responsibility, not of the board, not of the CEO, not of the CFO, but of the head of cybersecurity or the chief information security officer. Even at the most enlightened companies, it might be the chief information officer reporting to the CFO. There's just that strange relationship where we all agree it's a macro, but we all are okay treating it as a micro. And that's why I think that putting someone on a board is not the same thing as having a board-based initiative to say, we are responsible for this. And I think that's ultimately sort of the starting point of companies that are actually going to get ahead of this and, and start managing it the right way. That's why I'm a bit skeptical on that. Clearly, there are advantages to knowing what a company is doing relative to others. And when it comes to cyber, you're not going to see uh, relative performance by looking at SEC filings. So where can companies and investors get that kind of information? What we do, and, and we hope to be sort of a one of the primary sources of that information. So what we've been doing is we've been over the last few years running uh, large amounts of data science testing on the relationship between governance and cybersecurity and shareholder value. And so what we've tried to do by looking at a data set of over 1,000 companies globally, the data clearly shows that the most important relationship is not what te- technology a company has, but how it's being managed, and more importantly, how it's being managed after there has been a detected problem within a network. 
from our point of view, we're using that data and turning that into a series of what we call a governance index, where we rank on a monthly basis the best companies who we're seeing are managing their networks and using the best form of hygiene, we would call it cyber hygiene. And then companies are doing the worst. And the data clearly shows over the last two years that companies who are managing their networks better tend to outperform in the stock market versus companies that don't. And I think that's because we all know that, you know, Warren Buffett would agree companies with good management tend to outperform in terms of, in terms of long, long-term shareholder value. And our data and research show that too. So we're going to be introducing in Q1 of this year uh, a benchmark of good cyber governance companies and bad cyber governance companies. We're not going to give the names of the companies in the beginning, but we're just going to make the point that this can be used as a tool in terms of it is possible to judge a company in terms of how much value creation or value destruction based on how they manage their cyber, and we'll be publishing the index and the indices on you know Bloomberg Financial, uh, Thomson Reuters, and other financial uh, outlets. So. What we're trying to do is become one of hopefully others that can start to create a standard for measuring cyber risk. That's really the goal of what we're trying to do so that it could stand alongside a credit score or a credit rating, a financial audit, and all these other aspects. We think that, you know, cyber should have a seat at the table of all the other major macro risks and systemic risks that um, investors face. All right. We'll be looking out for that. Uh, last question for you on dollars and cents of cybersecurity. You know, in engagement settings, it's tempting both for companies and for the investor side to draw a straight connection between the dollars a company is spending on improving cybersecurity and actual data security. And you have cautioned against that. But the question we had for you is, what are some other measures of cybersecurity improvement that investors should be more comfortable with? The reason I sort of caution against this is, is something that I dealt with myself, which is when I think about data security, I think about simply the loss of customer information. And I think what we're trying to promote, especially from an engagement point of view, because it can become so successful from, from the engagement manager, is that cybersecurity and cyber risk actually is much greater. And for example, when we say cyber, we also mean digital infrastructure, i.e. a cloud. When we talk about digital assets or cyber assets, we also mean a proprietary digital software process. Uh, again, these are enormous sources of value to a company. And so I think that what we're trying to, we're not saying don't engage on cyber. We're saying think broader about what digital assets really are. It's more than just losing customer data. So when you engage with a board to ask a series of questions that refer to their digital assets more broadly, because that's really where a key source of value in terms of future shareholder value not being lost due to brand value or operational stoppage or you know customer turn you know customer churn it's because you need to think about digital assets in a broader sense if, if investors can start to do that i think they will see that the result of the engagement will be quite good our guest today has been ryan dodd the founder and ceo of CyberHedge. thanks for listening to this installment of cii's podcast series Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, 
please visit our website at www.cii.org.